Hi everyone and welcome to Meet the Masters, a product marketing podcast dedicated to the core strategies of product marketing. My name is Charlie Gale and I'm a copywriter here at Product Marketing Alliance. PMA is the single largest product marketing community in the world, providing a global platform for new and seasoned PMM professionals to network, learn and thrive in their careers. In this episode, I spoke to Sapphire Reels, Director of Portfolio and Integrated Marketing at Pluralsight, to discuss all things sales enablement. At Pluralsight, Sapphire leads the teams responsible for evolving the company's story as a multi-product platform and creating and deploying globally integrated marketing programs. As a sales enablement specialist, Sapphire enjoys telling stories fueled by data and empathy and is au fait with sales enablement best practices. This is something we touch on in today's episode, along with what you can learn from the Sales Enablement Certified Masters course we have at PMA, a course that Sapphire herself built from her experience and expertise in the field. Hi Sapphire, how are you? I'm doing great today, how are you Charlie? I'm great, thank you. Thank you so much for joining, it's amazing to have you here. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here with you and the entire PMA community. So I thought I'd jump straight into it. You're the instructor for our sales enablement master's course that we have at PME. Um, I'd like to know, and I'm sure the listener would like to know, how you found the process for building the course and why you think sales enablement is such an important topic for product marketers to learn. Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. Um, I really love this process. You know, first of all, first and foremost, like partnering with the PMA is always such an incredible experience. There is so much talent over on that team, and I feel really lucky to be a part of the community and to kind of share um, share this with the community. One big thing is like it really allowed me to reflect on my own experience and the experts I've been lucky enough to learn from. And, you know, we all go through our day-to-day work and we're busy and we we kind of build these mental models and frameworks without actually realizing it. And so what I really loved is like, I helped you really crystallize my own framework and some things that, you know, I had been kind of building a, a rinse and repeat motion. And I don't mean rinse and repeat in a bad way, right? You always do the same tactic, but it gave me some a simple flywheel to help make sure my keep, you know, any sales name program that I'm building growing and be more impactful. And so when I talk about impacts, um, that's really what's key with sales name and why I think it's so important for product marketers. It's, uh, if you're a B2B marketer, especially if you're trying to sell into enterprise businesses, you know, sales enablement is table stakes these days. Like it's it's really not something you can afford not to have. You can have the best product, the best positioning in the world, but if your sales force can't sell it, it is going to stay on the shelf. And without sales enablement, you'll see things like your sales team will be onboarded effectively and they will be productive and that's going to impact their confidence and their ability to hit quota. Sales cycles are going to stall and you're not going to see conversions. You'll probably so see low deal sizes. And for anybody who's trying to move into the enterprise, you want bigger deal sizes. You'll see things like buyers and customers not understanding the value of your products. Relationships are going to suffer and customers will churn. You're going to see things like loss rates to competitors increase. There's going to be a ton of friction internally as teams like sales and marketing don't know how to work together. And you're really going to be left with no way to figure out like, okay, something's not going right. 
What's the problem? How do I fix it? So said really simply, if you do not have sales enablement, your sales force will struggle to be effective. They are left to their own devices. And uh, salespeople's number one job is to sell and you are a key input into that process. So it's just a really critical space for any product marketer, even if that's not their focus, they're not assigned to do it, to understand that impact. So obviously you're saying about how um, sales enablement is such a important strategy and, you know, there's so much to the function. It can be quite daunting for people, I think, especially if they're like first starting out. So what would be your tip for people who haven't got a sales enablement strategy in place? Like what would be the number one thing that they should do first? Yeah, I think I hear that a lot. Like, first of all, what even is sales enablement? And there's so much that falls under that umbrella. And 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 so it can be overwhelming. And I felt that too. Like, I didn't know what sales enablement was when I first started working product marketing. I was like, oh, yeah, it sounds like we help sales. But like, what does that mean? And um, so I think the key, and this is something I like to borrow from our friends over like product development teams is discovery. You really have to understand like what's been tried in the past, what's going on today, you know, what needs to happen and what needs to be influenced into the future. And so even if you're like, I don't know what it is, I don't know where to start, you know, my company doesn't think it's a priority. If you start doing discovery, you are naturally going to find some areas to focus. And when I talk about discovery, I definitely would focus on a few key areas. Obviously, this cascades into a lot of questions, a lot of data, a lot of insights you need to get. Um, But I always, you know, I would start pretty high level where many product marketers feel comfortable. And that's like prospect and customer context and data, right? Who are those primary buyers? And who are the influencing personas involved in the decision-making process? What does the buying and customer journey look like? You know, how is your brand, company, employees, and product support buyers or customers through every step of that journey? What are the stages of that journey? And, you know, how does different content support people moving through the funnel? Um, Those are types of things that product marketers tend to feel confident in, right? You're responsible for messaging, you're responsible positioning, providing input on the product strategy. So start there because that's one of the first things you're going to have to get your sales force up to speed on or maybe certain individuals in your sales force. You're going to have to help train them and enable them on what's going on in our market. Who are our buyers? What are our customers struggling with? So start with something that feels comfortable for you and that you feel confident having a conversation on. The second thing is you, you can kind of start to zoom in from there. Right. So then you start to think about like, okay, specifically what's going on in our business, right? What's our mission? What's our vision? What is past, current, you know, expected future performance need to look like? And obviously with that, you're really focused on things like how efficient do we need to be as a business? What are some of those revenue targets that we might have? Um, And questions like, you know, what value does marketing bring to your sales organization? You know, how aligned is our marketing efforts to sales needs? You know, how aligned is everyone to those go to, internal go-to-market motions? Um, start understanding your business because good sales enablement, effective sales enablement is aligned to what the business needs. 
then start to narrow that scope to the sales organization and data, right? Like what process, what sales process do they follow? What stages does marketing play a role in? What do handoffs look like between the marketing team to the sales team and then within all those sales teams? You know, how disciplined are reps to the process? Where are they spending most of their time? You can start to think about things like, you know, how specifically are the sales team performing against their targets? Are they underperforming? Are they meeting targets? Are they overperforming? Right? How much are you winning? Are there different uh, differences in that performance as you look like things like segments? So like a different region, a different vertical, a different business size. You know, what are the different roles that are in your sales organization? How do they work through the sales process? How do they support goals? All of those types of questions are going to really help you narrow down what's going on. For, you know, an illustrative example, if you're looking at performance data and you see like, hey, we are killing it and winning a ton of deals in the financial services vertical, that's what you support. But when we look at healthcare, like we're not doing so hot. Well, if healthcare is in the target market, you probably don't care about helping the reps who are selling into that vertical do better, but maybe there's some untapped opportunity and you should focus there. Maybe you need to take what's going on in financial services and say, how can we adapt this to that healthcare vertical, right? So it'll start to give you some areas of focus I do think there's a variety of ways to get that data. It's going to be both quantitative, things like you know, business reports and dashboards, CRM reports, different surveys you run. But I also really like to advise people to also think about the qualitative side of it. Go out and interview your sales reps, do some focus groups with customers who've just recently gone through the purchase process, right? To start building that data. Don't let a lack of you know data analytics um, stop you. If you're a product marketer, like you're used to talking to people, asking why, just start there. Something else I would just mention in that discovery process is you know you also really want to just make sure you benchmark what has happening before you make any changes. Because if you don't benchmark, you don't know what's actually been effective, right? Taking that financial services versus healthcare example, let's say you did decide to go say, hey, there's untapped potential for healthcare. Let's go stand up a sales enablement program, a playbook around enabling our sellers to sell in the healthcare vertical. If you don't know what, you know, if you don't tell everyone, here's what performance looked like before we started and we 10X'd it, you're kind of losing that internal buy-in and, you know, your own ability to say, we need to do more of this. I think the last thing I would really just mention around discovery is like, just make sure you summarize it and share that out within the business so people know where you're focused. A lot of folks call this something like, you know, a discovery synthesis where you say, hey, here's what we found. And then they take that and they translate it to what we call a sales enablement charter, which is basically like, here's what sales enablement's designed to do. Here's where we're going to focus. Here's who needs to be involved. You know, here's what we're not going to do. So we're not wasting our time because um, it gives you that grace to say no. So you can go prioritize because um, we know like in product marketing, if you don't say no, it's just this like bucket catch all function. And when I think about sales enablement for product marketing, like it, it can be different. It's different at every organization. Some product marketing teams fully own sales enablement. Others share with um, 
sales enablement teams that have been set up that are separate. So something like a charter helps you be really clear on like who's doing what in one of those uh, scenarios. Awesome. Thank you. Um, I like what you said about, you know, like measuring performance is like obviously going to be one of the most important things that you do. Um, but one of the things I guess to like help your sales team perform well is creating assets for them. Um, in our latest sales enablement landscape report, uh, we discovered that 68.9% of our sales enablement professionals found that um, customer case studies were the most effective asset for sales teams to use. What would you consider to be the most effective and like the best assets and why? Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely agree. Case studies are amazing. Like there is nothing better than your customer coming out and saying, hey, yes, we got this ROI. We hit this objective. We got this value that, you know, you've been hearing so much about them saying they, they truly validate that your business, that your products, that your team can actually provide the value that is being shared across marketing channels and through your sales teams. But the one thing that I would just caveat is like to get someone to the point where they care about and they actually want to see a case study, there's a whole host more of content that you need to build or assets you need to build. Um, and I think that can be really overwhelming for people. They're like, I hear about one pagers and I hear about ROI calculators and I hear about this and I hear about that. And it's like where like I can't possibly build all of that right now. And so when I think about getting someone to the point where they care about a case study, first, like what you really want to think about is what does that handoff look like between sale uh, marketing and sales team? So like when a lead gets kicked over or, or if a rep is doing something out, you know, purely outbound to a cold lead that marketing hasn't touched, you want to think about having a sales scripts and email template library. Um, this is really important so reps can have value-based proactive conversations with any of those account contacts. And so at when, you know, when it's someone who's just trying to reach out and book a meeting, what should they be saying, right? It should be pretty brief, high level, just get someone interested enough to have that next conversation. Again, same thing with, you know, whether that's over the phone or an email template. So really think about like, what does that script or template library look like to get someone to engage with a seller. This is going to include things like discovery questions, right? How do I start to dig in with them once they're on that meeting to figure out, is there an opportunity here? How might I position this in the future? Um, and when you think about positioning, I also think about like pitch presentations product and pricing one pagers are going to be really important and um, reps need to be able to effectively speak to product value not features and be clear on the value they get for the price and so as you think about like different scripts and templates you'd want to provide there you'd want make sure you have like demo scripts so they can show the products you want to make sure they have objection handling prompts so if someone says look your price three to four times higher then, you know, the average price we've been seeing, a rep can say something like, well, you know, most products in our market don't provide X, Y, Z like we do, which brings you ABC value, right? And um, I also would say in that scenario of like objection handling, a lot of things that are going to come up are like competitive objections, like, well, like 
Bob over at the other company told me that they could do this better than you. A rep needs a battle card to know, was Bob telling the truth? Is this a deal they should like, quite frankly, walk away from at that moment in time? Because it's probably like, yeah, they are better at that. And that's the number one thing they care about. Maybe let's reach out once we build inside capability or no, Bob at that other company was lying to you and they can't actually do that. So said very simply, what I would just think about is like build a library of sales scripts and email templates and just give reps just so many bullet points, talking points, and let them personalize it to the account that they're working with. Things like discovery questions, objection handling, demo scripts. Have that library of like some pitch deck slides, a product, pricing one sheet, and then also have those competitive battle cards as well. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so obviously it's one thing creating assets for your sales team, but another thing entirely to ensure that they actually use them. I know that there's like a running joke within the product marketing community um, of like trying to get your sales team to use the assets that you create. So what methods can you put in place to make sure that your sales team is actually implementing your sales enablement efforts? Yeah, I, I've been there myself. You know, assets are one thing, but getting someone to put it in practice is a whole other, you know, different animal. Um, I've been there where I, you know, said, here's 20 new assets and nobody uses it. And you're like, you've been asking me for these things forever. Now they're here. Like, why aren't you using them? One of my first experiences with this was, um, so when I joined my company, we were implementing a new sales enablement platform that housed kind of all of the, and we just started from like a content perspective, like what content do they need? Because we were changing our messaging, changing our positioning, changing a target buyer, changing pricing. So they really just needed like at first a place to go and find updated materials from a messaging standpoint. Like we, we planned to roll out some other things later to help, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, but it was really like, let's just get the right version of the assets into one place. And so when I built it, it was like, here's your tofu, top of funnel assets. Here's your mofu, you know, middle of funnel. Here's your bottom of funnel assets. And the sales team's like, what the hell? Like, what, what? why does it say tofu in here? <laughs> like, I don't get it. Um, so first of all, you have to speak their language. And that was a lesson I learned really quickly. That's why I talked about like, you need to understand what their sales process is. Like to a seller, seeing that something is top of funnel what you really mean is like here's some content you can use to reach out to a um a cold you know on a cold call hey mr vp of it i know that you really care about x have you seen this recent report from us um tofu might also mean hey if a lead comes into you they might have looked at one of these pieces of content so it's a different like context you need to provide around the assets that you're building uh, so I think just one thing, make sure you speak the language and can talk about it in terms of their own sales process and what they're doing. I think the other thing that um, I learned really quickly is like with that platform, like we needed the tool, the platform itself to house all the assets and guide people through the process and program. So like, co again, content management tools, sales platforms. But you also need like training or learning management. And and some people have the budget for platforms. And there's really, really great platforms that do that. Um, I've seen a lot of different PMA re reports that kind of talk about that tool stack. 
that product marketers have. So I would encourage folks to go look at that um, to see what some of those tools are. Um, so you can use tools for things like that, but I would not let having, not having like a training tool stop you because the most important piece of sales enablement is like, how do you onboard, train, and reinforce knowledge for sellers? It's a term you'll hear called like sales readiness, right? There's like sales enablement. Sales readiness is a part of sales enablement and sales ready just readiness just means sales possesses the skills and knowledge they need to have conversations that convert prospects to repeat customers and then keep customers. So if a salesperson's not ready, it doesn't matter that you have the assets. So when I think about whether you're onboarding or training someone or just reinforcing knowledge, um, always be really clear on what the intent is. And that's going to center on use cases, right? Is this designed to help sellers understand how to win more competitive deals? Is it designed to help new reps get up to speed on the market and your product? You know, is it designed to help sellers negotiate better? Like the list goes on. There's so many scenarios, but just be really clear on the intent of like, what are we training and onboarding, reinforcing on? Sometimes it's all of those things. And you need to figure out like what is most important. And that's where you go back to your discovery and say, Hey, like the number one thing we are struggling with right now is like sales is not effectively qualifying leads. So we absolutely have to build some training around like how do you better qualify a lead? How do you do better discovery? So that's why I I talk about doing your own discovery is so important so you can be really clear on what that intent of the training is. And when I think about any sort of training, any sort of onboarding, any sort of reinforcement, um, always take into account what role someone's in, right? Are they a uh, customer success manager? Are they a business development rep? Are they account executive, right? That's going to change the type of training that they need. A business development rep does not need as much knowledge as an account executive because they're just trying to get someone to book a meeting with that account executive. Versus a customer success manager probably needs a lot deeper context on how your product actually works than someone um, like an account executive. Not to say they don't need to know how your product works, but like a customer success manager is responsible for making sure that that customer gets set up effectively, that they know how to use the products, that they can adopt them and continue success and still be a customer. So always think about what role someone's in. Think about their tenure in New York. Um, that's where I talk about like it might be an onboarding program, right? It might be new reps, but there's also different tenors. If someone's been there, you know, a year, the training they're going to need is very different than the training someone who's been there for five years might need. And if you stick someone, you know, who's been there for five years and training designed for someone who's been there for one year, it's like they're going to tune out. So what role are they in? What's their tenor in the org? What product or service uh, or segment do they service, right? That requires different training. If they're selling, you know, one product in your portfolio versus the other, or if they're selling into a European market versus a North American market, that's different training. And then all the different selling situations that they might find themselves in, right? I've talked about a few of those. They're demoing, they're pitching, they are negotiating, all of those different situations. 
again, you always refer back to your discovery to figure out like what is most important. From there, you know, you can start to think about different formats, webinars. Is this a certification? Is this an assessment? Are we doing some role playing here? And and that's really important. The the format of it is because you have to think about like, are we simply trying to help them learn? And that might just be something like, hey, attend this webinar, take this certification we built, or are they trying to apply knowledge, which would be something like, let's go do role playing or let's go do, you know, cold calls and pair you with another, you know, star sales rep who's going to help and see, hey, have you actually applied that knowledge? Um, And all of this will roll into, you know, a nice timing and cadence that you'll offer on. Uh, I I go a lot deeper on this in, in the class. Um, But just to really round out this answer, one thing I would do is, you know, the most impactful thing you can do to get reps to use assets is to encourage successful sales reps or customer uh, success reps to share stories themselves. Reps want to repeat behaviors of other successful reps. So get reps to share their stories, right? What discovery questions? landed a demo meeting? How did they use a battle card to oust a competitor? How did a pitch deck help move someone into negotiations and so on? That's honestly the most effective thing that I've seen um, and can be a very, very nice addition as you roll out these different, you know, training, training, onboarding, reinforcement programs. Awesome. That was really helpful. Thank you so much. Um, So, when it comes to like sales enablement, uh, one of the most important like assets or a popular asset is a sales playbook. Uh, when I started at PMA, I hadn't heard of a playbook outside of you know sports like football. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> so what kind like I guess like for some people starting, they have no idea you know how to create one. Um, what kind of things should you think about um, when? like before creating a sales playbook? Yeah. Um, you know, honestly, and this is why I love like the idea of a framework, like I would just kind of reference some of the things I just shared. Like really a playbook is about like use cases. What, what, you know, a, a sales playbook for all the things is a sales playbook for nothing. Um, some people have like big, broad sales playbooks, playbooks that house everything. But underneath that, they have sales plays. So a sales play is designed around a very specific kind of use case and intent. A sales playbook could house all of those. So you might have a sales playbook that is, you know, here's the playbook that we're going to use to onboard a new seller. And it would have different plays within it. But it could also be more around like um, a segment, right? Here's our playbook for selling into the enterprise or selling into healthcare. One thing I would mention with the playbook is, again, like it can't be too broad. So don't just say, here's like this like 40 page playbook that you need to go follow, like break it up into different plays within that playbook. So if you're onboarding a new rep and this is the playbook to onboard a rep, you know, think about what plays would go within that versus, hey, if this is the play to go sell into the enterprise, well, there's going to be different plays for different personas or for different um you know, sizes of business within an enterprise, different verticals, different regions. So I would really think about like, how do I break this up into individual plays? Um, so some examples there could be like, you could have playbooks around specific channels, lead qualification, demoing, 
again, a specific vertical or customer segment, a specific use case. You can have more playbooks around like skills they need, right? Negotiation skills. You can even have playbooks around like, here's how you book cross sell. Here's how you upsell. Um, there's even a lot of playbooks on things like, here's a playbook on how to uh, engage someone at the C-level who is notoriously hard to get their attention and get their time. So um, really starts with thinking about the use case. A couple other things I would just at a high level think about, um, is this a highly transactional short sales cycle or is it a more complex and longer sales cycle? A longer sales cycle is going to require more in a playbook. That's just naturally how it is, right? There's going to be more personas involved that they need to sell into. Um, naturally, you know, procurement process just take longer. So start by thinking about what type of sales cycle it is. I would also think about where in the buying journey and sales process do reps need the most help. If you continually hear, you know, marketing complaining about sales reps not following up on leads, like you probably need that lead qualification play. Uh, maybe you notice that prospects are dropping off right at the demo stage. You would create a demo playbook, right? That's why discovery is so important. Figure out what some of those places people are struggling and build the playbook there. Something else that is helpful to think about is like, do you have one product or multiple? Like how many different segments are you selling into? Again, those are going to dictate different playbooks. And what are the sales organization's goals? What I mean by that is, let's say, you know, your business is trying to sell really heavily into the enterprise, right? You're trying to move up market and you're building playbooks designed for um, the small business market. That doesn't make any sense and it won't really be effective. And again, go back to like, what are those common situations that reps find themselves in? What objections continually come up and build from there? Um, people get overwhelmed naturally when they hear just like hey we need a playbook and they're like what like what goes in a playbook like start with some specific use cases where people are struggling and just roll them out and test them and see what happens i think the last thing that i would just say here is um i think one thing that um sometimes you know it, it depends every product marketing team is different but some product marketers focus a lot on like just like bottom of funnel once somebody cares about our product what should we say i do think one thing when we think about playbooks that's really important is like what is that connection between marketing and sales um there needs to be something around like how does the lead come to a seller did they download content did they attend a webinar did they request a demo and what specific actions should someone to go do to follow out follow up or like from an outbound perspective, you know, what list should they be working on? What assets do they need? You know, how do they work together to do so? So every single person I've talked to about building a sales playbook, like they're like have different things within a playbook. So I, I can't dictate what's within your playbook for you. Um, but I, I do give some tips in the course. I, I do think really a playbook just starts with like, where are we struggling the most? And let's build some very specific use case playbooks and use cases should feel really familiar to product marketers because that's really what we center all of our you know value messaging around brilliant thank you so given all of our discussion so we've created the assets we've given them over um they're hopefully implementing everything that you've um, given them you've done all the training and now um they've flown the last they're like in the field doing the work 
now it comes to like actually checking in on them and making sure that they're you know they're doing well how often should those responsible for the sales enablement be checking in with their sales teams I mean, I think the frequency kind of depends on what's going on in your business. Like if there's like, hey, you know, our revenue is plummeting, we're not going to hit our goals, like we're constantly losing to competitors all over the place, like you might be checking in once a week. You know, like if, if, it's, a, if it's kind of a war zone out there, like you might be more frequent. Um, if it's kind of normal course of business, like I would check in on a monthly basis. Um, you really have to be, you know, on the floor whether virtually, in person, whatever you want to say with your sales team to get feedback. Um, you know, it's really critical to listen for that feedback, to share how you are or are not addressing it, because sometimes you can't tell them why, and then circle back on any plans. A lot of great ideas do come out of our sales teams. You know, they're the ones out there in the trenches, like fighting the good fight. And so I, I would never discount, you know, the time I mean, should spend with them. Um, I think, so again, at a minimum on a monthly basis, uh, check-ins can take a variety of formats. It could be you join an, assist, an existing sales team meeting. It could be listening to reported sales calls. It could be checking, you know, different dashboards and reports that sellers look at. And again, I recommend you do that for sure on like a weekly basis, sometimes daily, depending on what's going on. One of the helpful things I would just think about doing here is is for those monthly check-ins, we basically set up what we call a group of like sales friendlies or like rev beta is what we call it. And we basically got a list of high-performing sales reps and we got their agreement from their sales leaders that they could meet with us once a month and participate in this beta group. So we started with the first meeting, which is basic discovery, you know, what's going well, what needs improvement. And then we followed up with some really quick low-hanging fruit to, you know, get some quick wins and build trust. Like, one thing they told us was like, I don't have a proposal template and, and I just need one. Like I just need, a, you know, a template with all the value, all the price thing, everything in it so I can quickly customize. So we like created one pretty quickly and shipped it and they were super happy. So that built trust. We then progressed to treating them more like beta customers. So we'd preview the new assets with them or the programs or the plays, whatever it was. We say, please go use this in the field for the next few weeks. And once we meet again, report back on what worked well and what didn't. Please give us concrete examples, right? What type of account What it, was it? Where in the sales cycle was it? Um, you know, who were their personas involved? Not only did we get feedback that we needed to improve our programs, but along the way, we were actually able to collect those success stories that are so critical. And so it was definitely like killing two birds with one stone. Um, now, I wouldn't want you to leave thinking like, I'm only going to check in with my high performer. Cause like, well, no, because the high performers will stay high performers and then the medium and low performers might not move up from there. Um, so I would also encourage you to just make sure that you're thinking about how do you support those reps who are struggling more and bring the tactics of a high performing rep to those reps who need a little bit more help. Um, if you don't do these check-ins, like even if it's just, again, you set up a monthly meeting where you hear them out, you will not have trust with your sales team and they will not use anything because, again, they're the ones in the trenches and they're just going to think like, you have no idea what it's like to get on the phone with a buyer, with a customer, and and be at war, it feels like salespeople are. So check in with them, listen to them, you know, make changes, but don't 
say yes to everything. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, so those were the the end of the questions that I had for you, but I do have one or two questions from the community um, that I'd like yeah. to answer. Um, awesome. So, right. Well, question one, where do you go for inspiration when creating your sales enablement material and assets? That is a great question. Um, first of all, I mean... <laughs> I will put a plug for the PMA. Um, I mean, I if you're not in like their Slack channels, if you're not part of, I mean, this is someone from the community, so you're there. Like, start building a network. I think that's really important. Like, yeah, you can go online and search for things, and and I do do that at times. Um, but what's been most important, helpful to me over my career is building a network of other product marketers through things like the PMA. And like, I'll reach out to a friend and say like hey like we're trying to build some new assets like you know obviously you probably need to scrub the details on it but like is there anything you've used that's been really effective um so i would encourage you to build a network of people that you can go and like ask for advice and like i have many mentees through the product marketing alliance and they'll come to me and say hey do you have an example of x i'm like oh yeah we tried this thing like it didn't work but here's an example or like it might work for you or like we tried this thing and it worked really well um so build a network, go to communities like the PMI. Uh, the second thing that I would mention is turn to your sales team. Like, I I think sometimes, you know, sales reps get a bad rap of like, they're asking for all this stuff and we can't deliver. But like, there are some really amazing ideas coming out of sales, you know, especially for those really high performing reps. So go meet with them, ask what they're using. And when you look at the slide and you see it's like horribly designed, but it's landing deals and it's landing the right types of deals, maybe take that and go design it and clean up the talk track and roll it out more broadly. Um, so look within your company. Um, the third thing is I have some brands that I like just really, really love what they do. And I just look at like their different marketing materials and use those as a baseline for like how might we tell this as a sales story. Um, there's definitely, you know, People all over the Twitter sphere, people all over like blogging platforms like Medium. Um, so I would encourage you to spend, I try to spend about like, even if it's 15 minutes a week, just like on the internet, just looking at these like communities or these leaders and just seeing what they have. And I save it. I literally have a Google Doc that I just called like inspo. And it just like has like thousands of images and links. And like, I just keep that library growing. Um, and that's something like my leadership encourage us to do like anytime we think something that would work well we just like throw it in the slack channel and kind of have a repository so awesome thank you um okay i think we have time for just one more question i'll squeeze one more in um so the final question do you have any advice for improving engagement within sales calls Engagement was in sales calls. So I am going to look at this question two ways. Um, my perception is that this person is either asking like internally when sales is on a call or when a seller is on a call externally. I'm not sure which they're asking about. So I'll give quick tips on both. Um, if it's like an internal thing of like we're on a sales call and sellers aren't paying attention, like, yeah, I mean, that that's just the reality of like any meeting. Like people aren't going to pay attention. You kind of just have to accept it on the chin. Um, what I will say is like 
be really intentional about like who's leading that call. Like I was a cheerleader for a long time in my life. Like I have no problem like getting on stage and being a ham and making a fool of myself. And like when I leave those meetings, I'm like, let's go. Like that's what salespeople love. Like they love that energy, you know, like the Wolf of Wall Street. If you've seen that video like that, it's a trope, but it's a trope for a reason. Um, but like that's that's how they get hyped up. They do scoreboards, they do all of that. So like play into that, like be their hype people, right? So like bring that, like one of my favorite Peloton instructors, she says, bring your own energy, like bring your own energy. So like that, that's really important. Um, the second thing I would mention is those success stories. You should not be sitting on the call just telling them everything. Get their sales leaders to lead the call. Get other sellers who've used your programs to lead that call. So don't just sit there and speak to them because it's not valuable. The other thing you might do is like bring in a customer if you can or bring in like customer examples of where it works well. Um, so give pipe, have them get involved and give them some really concrete examples of where it works. On the flip side of like, how do you get a seller to engage more in a call externally, if that's what you meant? I mean, I think that's like the point of sales enablement. Like maybe they're not confident. Maybe they don't know what to say. Um, so, you know, go take the course. <laughs> Perfect. I think that's a great way to end it. Go to the call. So I think this episode has proven as well that, you know, you are like, your course is going to be like full of energy full of like incredible insights it's going to be completely invaluable for people to take um so thank you so much for agreeing to talk with me it's been amazing um just to wrap this up where can people find you oh well if you're looking to find me in person i live near seattle washington <laughs> always working to new, meet, meet new folks so um hit me up if you're ever in town um but I love using Twitter. Uh, my handle is at the real deal. And then also just find me on LinkedIn, uh, Sapphire Reels. I, I love to chat with people on either of those things. And um, yeah, people can feel free to reach out. And I'm always looking to meet more people and just speak the good gospel that is product marketing and sales enablement. So thank you, Charlie. Perfect. Thank you. So there we have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. As Sapphire said, if you'd like to learn more about the Sales Enablement Masters course, check it out on our website at www.productmarketingalliance.com or check out the show notes for more information. Thanks for listening and see you next time.